This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Tonight is the first yard site actually of uh, Sammy Rohr, George Rohr's father. So we'll dedicate tonight's class in honor of Rabbi Shmuel ben Rabbi Yeshua Eliyahu. And um, we'll, all of the Chabad Shluchim owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude. Him and his, and his son and his children and his family have become full-fledged partners in everything that Chabad does. So may his neshama, slichtig in neshama, have an aliyah, elevation, and maybe a good, uh, a good to better, a good advocate for his children, his immediate family, for all of us, extended family. And the merit of his tremendous tzedakah, may we immediately merit the coming of Mashiach. And this is the theme of this letter. We're in the middle of learning letter number four, page 59. And the letter is based on that idea that the rabbis say that tzedakah, the Jewish people, will be redeemed through tzedakah. And he explained what's the connection. What's the connection of the Jewish people being redeemed through tzedakah? And he first he explained what is redemption. What do we mean by redemption? What are we waiting for? What are we working towards? What's going to happen at the moment of redemption? It's going to be a moment. Just like there was a moment when the Jewish people left Egypt, there's going to be a moment. What's going to happen at that moment? That magical moment when Mashiach actually comes. What, what exactly is going to happen? When Hashem sees that we're doing the best, uh, the best that we can do, then Hashem steps in and He reveals the inner part of the heart. As Alter Rebbe said, it says in the, we say in the Shema, you should place these words on your heart. These words should be placed on your heart. He says, what does it mean, on your heart? is because we study, we study Hasidut, we study about Hashem, and we place all these words on our heart. Does it penetrate the heart? Let's be honest. It doesn't penetrate the heart. And it's not within our power for it to penetrate the heart. We can study, we can learn, we are in control of our mind, so we can study, we can meditate, we can think, we can learn, even enjoy it, but does it really get through, does it really hit home? Does it really move us, inspire us, change us, transform us? That our very core, our very essence, our very being? No, not necessarily. But when you place the words on your heart, and then when Hashem will open our hearts, all those words will, words will come tumbling down and hit the mark. Because at least we've spent the time studying. So at least we have the information. So although we study a lot and we know a lot, and the words don't necessarily have the right effect, but as long as we're doing what we, we are capable of doing, we're capable of studying and learning, to the best of our ability, trying to take it to heart. But in most cases, it just remains on the heart, above the heart, on top of the heart. It doesn't hit home, it doesn't hit the mark, because we can't control our subconscious. Our hearts are elsewhere. Our attachments are elsewhere. We enjoy the cholent a little too much. It's, it's our hearts are <laughs> the Shabbos. We enjoy the, the, the material a little more than the spiritual, than the davening and the learning. We're human. So that's not within our power. It's not within our control. But Mashiach will come. And this is the meaning of the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach will come. At that magical moment, our inner heart will emerge. Hashem will open the heart. And all those words will come tumbling down. And will hit home. And will be moved to our very core and essence, our very being. And it's going to be a moment. 
And as a result, the symptom of that opening, of that inner journey from the inner heart to the outer heart, from the subconscious to the conscious, the symptom will be that we'll all, there'll be a magical transportation, we're all going to be in the land of Israel, you'll, in the blink of an eye you'll open your eyes, and we'll find ourselves in Jerusalem, on the temple, overseeing the temple, the ingathering of the exiles. But that journey, the building of the temple and the coming of the actual coming of Mashiach, the ingathering of the exiles, will be a symptom of the inner spiritual journey when Hashem will be revealed. Because right now Hashem is hidden, Hashem is covered up, the Shekhinah is covered up. Because the godly spark within us is also covered up. We can't access it. Yiddishkeit is very superficial to us. It doesn't move us to our very core and being. It's almost like we go through the motions. And even if we do it enthusiastically, it's, it's like an act. It's very external. It's very superficial. And we can't delude ourselves for a moment to think that we've arrived, that this is it. We know, sadly, that we haven't even scratched the surface. It's just the external part of the heart. It doesn't really get to us. And he brings an analogy. There's certain things in life that touch us very deeply. If your life is on the line, that hits home. <laughs> if there's an issue that affects your very life and existence, that will reach you and that will get to you like, like nothing else. People will do things so uncharacteristic to them if your life is on the line. People are very quiet and nice and refined. If their life is on the line, they'll start banging on the table and they'll start, they'll start doing things that are completely uncharacteristic to them. Because if it matters to you, if it really matters and truly matters, most of the things that we think matter to us and we get excited about, if it's taken away from us, okay, no big deal. It's not, it's not real. We think it's real to us and we're excited about it and we're enthusiastic about it. It's a, we think it's a, it's a number one priority for us, but then if it's taken away from us, it's challenged. We're challenged. It doesn't move us so much. It's not so important. But then there are things that affect our very being, our very survival, our very existence, and that really hits home. And then you act in ways that are totally beyond, beyond your ordinary, ordinary capacity. We even discover abilities that we never even knew we had. Mothers who can lift up cars to save their children and their babies. Herculean, superheroic actions which are completely uncharacteristic. Because if your life is on the line and if something that matters to you, it touches you in such a deep way, it moves you in such a deep way. Soldiers who are in battle and when they face life and death, their awareness is so acute that their experience at that moment, their consciousness is so extraordinary, they'll never forget it for the rest of their lives. For a few moments they lived life in a different dimension, a different level. We can't access that in our ordinary lives. It's very rare. It's a rare person who can access that level constantly and continuously. That's like a tzaddik, one in a million. But most of us, we can't ordinarily access that place. And the reason we can't access that place is because our, of our other attachments. We're too attached to the material. Even if everything that we're doing is kosher and glat kosher. Mashiach will come, that hidden deep place will emerge. Our subconscious will become our conscious in all its intensity, in all its strength. Therefore, everything will be so crystal clear, everything will be so, will have such clarity. Godliness will be so evident, self-evident, and so tangible. That's Mashiach. It's a spiritual transformation, it's a spiritual phenomenon that hasn't happened yet, which will happen simultaneously to all of us, like the light switch will go on, and suddenly it'll hit us. And we'll say, of course, I always knew deep down there's a God in this world. It's so obvious. But it won't no longer be deep down, it will come to the surface. How do we get to that point? Well, we've been working on that for the last 3,800 years. Obviously, we're not there yet, any moment, imminently, but another mitzvah, another mitzvah. We're waiting for the last nail, last nail in the coffin, so to speak, of exile, to create that critical mass, that last mitzvah. We never know, we don't know who is that Jew who's going to do the last mitzvah that will create the critical mass that will get us to that moment, that home run, that moment when the sun comes out and the redemption of the soul and the redemption of Hashem, Hashem merges in all His beauty and all His glory. And then he said that just like there is the redemption on the macrocosm, there is also the redemption on the microcosm. 
There's our personal redemption. Every one of us is a microcosm of the whole universe. On a personal level, when could we achieve redemption? When is that moment that we can access, somewhat, access our subconscious, feel the power of our neshama, the depth of our feeling to Hashem, where we love our Hashem with all our heart and all our life and all our soul? That's during prayer. That's the time of prayer. During prayer, that's the time to achieve redemption. That's why we say the last blessing before the Shemun Ezrei, Baruch Hashem, Goel Yisrael, Goel Yisrael. We talk of redemption. And the prayer, the blessing for redemption has to be in close proximity. Right after redemption, we start the Shemun Ezrei. Because that is the theme of prayer. And in the Shema, the third parasha, we talk about the exodus from Egypt. Because that is the theme of prayer, redemption to achieve, to experience Godliness. In prayer, we're trying to experience Godliness. Throughout the day, when we study Torah, we understand, we learn, we study, but it's all, it's all up here. It's only during prayer that we have the chance, the opportunity, that's given to us, the opportunity, if we only seize the moment, to actually experience Godliness, to actually feel Hashem, love Hashem, feel Hashem's presence, feel the center ourselves and feel the godly spark that's located at the very center of our being. Allow it to emerge into our consciousness. That is a miniature redemption. That is a taste of redemption. If enough of us achieve these miniature redemptions, all these little lights would add up to this huge torch that will light up. In one moment, would light up this whole darkness, this whole exile, and the darkness will be gone forever, transformed forever. And now he comes back to the original point. That's where we left off. Now he comes back. Today we're going to learn. He's going to come back to the original point. The connection between tzedakah and redemption. He says, although redemption comes from above. And even the personal redemption. Prayer is a time when the heavenly gates are open. It's an auspicious time. The time of prayer are a time when it's auspicious. When we can actually achieve and experience God. But God is interactive. And in order to evoke this redemption, this revelation from our inner heart to our conscious heart, we have to do something to trigger it. What can we do to trigger this? So the answer is sadaka. Why? What's the connection? Why is sadaka the thing that triggers? Taking money from your pocket and helping someone we're doing an act of kindness. Why is tzedakah giving money to tzedakah? Why is that the thing that will trigger redemption? It is because money, a person is very tied up with his money. Here in America, you don't need, doesn't need any elaborate explanations. A person's identity is tied up with his money. Your whole being is tied up with your money. People define themselves by their money. They live for their money. It's all about money. America's in the business of doing business. That's our business. Everyone has the freedom to do business, to make money, to work hard, to be productive, and make money. Money is not just paying bills. Money is an ego symbol. Your whole identity is tied up with your money. People get very funny when it comes to their money. People will talk about the most intimate things with strangers here in America. There's no shame, shamelessly divulge, discuss the most intimate details with strangers when it comes to their money. It's private. I'm not going to share it with any stranger, even with their best friends. Money is... Uh, you identify with your money. Money touches you in a very deep place. Touches you. It's, it's your ego identity. Your whole ego is tied up with your money. How you earn your money, how much money you make. And so for a person to give away his money, it's not just giving away a detail. I'm giving something that touches me so deeply and so personally. And my whole being is wrapped up and attached to my money. So for me to give away my money, 
which is all about ego and I, to, give, to tear it away from myself, to empty my pocket and to give it to someone else. This is, this is, this is almost self-sacrifice. <laughs> this is giving up your life. It's giving a piece of yourself. You're literally giving a piece of your soul, of yourself. This is not just conscious, external, superficial. It's something that comes from the depth of your being. It touches you in the depth of your being. It gets your attention. We live in an age where, the, what's the average attention span lately? It keeps on getting lower and lower, and we're down to eight seconds. Talk to people about their money, they'll listen for five hours without any interruption. People with AD&D, no problem. Money, there's no AD&D, there's no problem. They're sitting, they're focused, they're concentrated. Einstein would be jealous of their focus and con level of focus and concentration. Because it's something that matters to you. Something that matters to you, amazing, in business. People who are out of control, their own personal lives are out of control. Temper tantrums, like little babies. When it comes to business, paragons of virtue. The customer's always right. Keep on smiling. You're ready to hang the customer. You're ready to string them up. I'm not going to harm my business. I'm a fool. You continue to smile. I mean, they put the saints to shame. And paragons of virtue. The self-discipline and the self-control. Just because I have an urge and I have an instinct, so what? I'm not going to ruin my business. Because money matters. Something matters to me. There's such awareness and such presence and such discipline and such control. Amazing. So money touches us very, very deeply, very profoundly. So when a person gives away his money, it's like he's giving a chunk of himself a piece of his soul. That touches the inner part of your being, like touching the inner part of your heart. So when a person is able to give away his money, it triggers a response from Hashem, that Hashem opens up the floodgates and opens up our inner heart opens up our subconscious and opens up our neshama and allows us to taste, to experience, to achieve a personal redemption, to get a taste of redemption, to experience godliness, where it's not just an abstract concept, but godliness becomes vivid, real, alive to us. It becomes life. And then Judaism becomes a way of life. It's not just something that I do, it's not religion, it's not it's, it's my life. It's who I am. It's 24-7. It becomes my being. It's natural. It's, it's wholesome. It's, I do it wholeheartedly and every fiber of my being, every bone of my body. This is the... This is, but what triggers that? What triggers that divine and godly response is our giving tzedakah. That's what he's going to explain. That's the connection between tzedakah is what leads to redemption. The Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah. It's only a person who has the power to give away his money, to tear away his money. And tearing away his money, everything is relative. A poor person who tears away a quarter, a dollar, and gives that dollar to tzedakah, could be worth more than the billionaire gives a, give, writes a million dollar check. Because the billionaire writes a million dollar check, a million dollars means nothing to him. It's like water off his back. He wouldn't even miss it. He wouldn't even know it's gone. But that poor person giving away his last dollar bill, that's a question of what he's going to eat that night. He's going to have enough money to, just for a piece of bread or he's going to have enough money to buy something with it. He's giving away his life. When a person gives tzedakah, and he's giving away his life, when that billionaire writes a check that hurts, he's giving a piece of himself. That's tzedakah. That's interactive. That's touching, touching your core. It's coming from your neshama. You're giving your neshama to Hashem. If you give your heart and soul to Hashem, when you give a piece of yourself, when you give tzedakah that it hurts, that's real. Hashem responds. Hashem is interactive. And then He responds by opening up our subconscious and opening up our Nisham for us. But it is well known that an arousal from above comes only in response to an arousal from below. A man's soul is stimulated from above only in response to the spiritual service that he initiates here below. Even an effusion of divine benevolence that comes exclusively from above 
and can neither be brought into being nor drawn down by man's service alone, also awaits a previous arousal from below, as an elevation of mayim nukvim, i.e. by an arousal of the feminine waters by which the recipient elicits the mayim dechuran. So it's okay. like it's like a it's like a relationship. It's not mechanical. So it's not like you press a button and something happens automatically. It's a relationship. You open your heart. The other side responds. Husband and wife, man and woman. The more you desire and you are, you are attracted, the other side responds. If you there's no desire on your part and the other one responds as well same way runs away can't run away fast enough it, it's, it's alive it's alive it's a relationship so if we open ourselves up we evoke we arouse we seduce we are the receivers God is the groom and we are the bride so we elicit we seduce we arouse we stir up we create an interest if we pour our hearts and we open ourselves up, Hashem responds in kind. So it's a live relationship. It's a real relationship. As our sages of blessed memory said, no drop of rain descends from above without two corresponding drops first ascending from below. Hashem created the world in such a way after the beginning of creation. The beginning of creation, Hashem just created the world out of His kindness. He didn't respond to anything. There was nothing to respond to. But once Hashem created man, from that point on, everything that happens in the world is interactive. Just like rain. Rain comes from the evaporation of the water below. If there's no evaporation of the water below, there can be no rain. So the rain comes from heaven. But in order for the rain to come from heaven, there has to be double the amount of evaporation that comes from below. And that's the, that's the interaction. That's Hashem created from that, from that now on. That's why Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah is the day that man was created. We celebrate the creation of the world, so we should have celebrated the 25th day of Elo when Hashem first created the world on Sunday, the first day of creation. Instead, we celebrate it on the sixth day of creation when man is created. And the explanation is because Hashem created the world in the beginning, Hashem created it out of His kindness, not in response to... But with the big creation of man, from that point on... Everything is in response to us. When Hashem renews the world, it all depends on man. That's why the day of Rosh Hashanah is on the sixth day of creation. And the truth is, even the beginning of creation, it says Hashem consulted. Before He created the world, He consulted. Who did He consult with? Who were the world's first consultants? The Jews. <laughs> it says He consulted with the souls of the Jew. We didn't even have any cards yet. We weren't giving out cards yet, but... We were already consulting. Hashem consulted with us whether we should create the world, which means Hashem envisioned, Hashem saw the tremendous pleasure that the righteous are going to give Him in this world, that despite the darkness and the challenges, they were going to make the wise choices and choose well. So this whetted Hashem's appetite, so to speak, and this is what motivated Hashem to create the world. So even in the beginning, it was also motivated by man. So therefore the whole creation really centers around Friday, the creation of man. Because that's the system Hashem set it up. Hashem responds to us. If we open our hearts, Hashem is there. As the Katzke Rebbe once asked his Hasidim, he says, where is God? So they said, what do you mean where God is? Where? God is everywhere. He says, no. God is wherever you allow Him to enter. If you open your heart, Hashem will enter. That's how Hashem created the world. If you shut your heart, of course Hashem is everywhere, but you shut your heart, Hashem sh shuts, you shut out Hashem, Hashem responds in kind. If we open ourselves up, He will respond. It's a marriage, it's a relationship. Man must therefore perform the beginning of this mila by himself to remove the foreskin of the heart and the coarse and thin husks which clothe and cover its innermost point. So here he's saying that although he explained earlier that the thin membrane is not really within our power, the thick membrane to remove negative behaviors, negative speech, negative thought, and negative action, that is within our power. But in order to circumcise, to remove the thin membrane, that's something only Hashem can do. And here he's saying that even that 
even the thing that really only Hashem could do. We also have to do something in order to evoke that response from Hashem. Hashem is not just going to do it in a vacuum. So he's saying it's not enough that we're removing the thick membrane. So we're doing whatever we can. Now then Hashem steps in and he'll remove the thin membrane. He's saying something novel here. That even when, we, when Hashem is going to do something that only Hashem could really do, only Hashem could bring Mashiach, let's face it, let's be honest here, only Hashem could really make that transformation and give us that magical moment when godliness will be revealed and be palpable and the inner heart will be revealed. It's only within Hashem's capacity. It's not within our capacity. But nevertheless, we have to do something, at least something that reflects, reflects that, something that will evoke that type of response. So we have to do something dramatic in our lives that reflect on what we're trying to evoke. Because even those levels that are totally beyond us, that come directly from Hashem, even those levels Hashem wants us to earn it, to deserve it, to do something to awaken it. And that's why we have to do something dramatic in our lives that will evoke this dramatic response from Hashem. So beyond just removing the thick foreskin, we have to do something that resembles the removing of the thin foreskin, even though we can't really, really achieve it and do it and accomplish it. But we could do something that, that resembles it. What's that thing that we can do that resembles it? This innermost point being a love of God and the spirit of the phrase, for the sake of your life, I, a love that springs from an awareness that godliness is the person's entire life. This love of God being an exile among the desires of this world. These physical desires likewise exist in the spirit of the phrase for the sake of your life, in that aspect of the universe which is the opposing counterpart to holiness, as mentioned above. So on one hand, we have to love Hashem because Hashem is my life. Hashem is everything to me. Hashem is my very life and my very being. Where Yiddishkeit is not just something that I do. It's not something that's compartmentalized that I do occasionally but it's something that's my life, it's 24-7. My life depends. But the problem is that materialism is my life. My attachment to materialism is also, that's my life. And that's what covers up, that's the opposition that doesn't allow us to truly feel and experience that Hashem is my life. It's like a marriage, you've got to make up your mind. It's, it's 100% this way or it's 100% that way. It can't, it can't be 50%. It's, it's either you're totally dedicated and devoted to Hashem as it says you should be holy to Hashem Kiddushim to you should be holy Kiddushim comes from the word Kiddushin which is marriage which is being holy marriage is called holiness because in order to be holy you have to separate yourself from everything else Kiddushin comes from the word separation in order to be holy and totally dedicated to Hashem you have to be 100% divorced and separated from anything else can't have a mistress on the side. Either if it's a marriage to work, it has to be 100%. So you have to be Kedoshim, you have to totally separate yourself from every, everything else and totally dedicate yourself to this one person. And the mitzvah of Kedoshim to you is you should separate yourself from even permissible things. Nachmanari says this is the mitzvah in the Torah, it's one of the 613 mitzvahs, that you have to separate yourself even from things that are permissible. To be holy means not to indulge in things that are permissible. Because you can't be holy to Hashem and while you're indulging in materialism in a glad kosher way. But meanwhile, you're indulging in materialism. Where's your heart at? Either you're, you love Hashem and your whole life is Hashem and you love it and it's your life and, and you're excited and you're thrilled and that's, you don't need anything else. You have everything that you need, all the life and energy and everything that you need in life, you have from your relationship with Hashem. You don't need anything. It gives you everything that you need. If you still feel that it's not enough, that you need something else in life, Hashem is not enough for me. Okay, I'll come to shul, I'll take care of my obligations, I'll even do it enthusiastically, but it's not enough for me. I need, I need another life. It's not a marriage. If your spouse is not enough for you, and you're not thrilled and excited to be with him, 
and you have to find your excitement and thrill elsewhere, it's not a marriage. Marriage is 100%. Kedoshim ti, 100% Hashem. And separating yourself 100% from materialism, including things that are kosher. But if you indulge in things, if you're indulging in materialism, even in the glat kosher way, it interferes with Kedoshim, it interferes with that holiness, it interferes with that marriage so, the, so that's the, the opposite side. It's either Hashem is your life and everything that you need, you get from Hashem. And Hashem supplies everything that you need. You're happy. You don't need anything else. You're completely satisfied and full and happy just being with Hashem, studying His Torah, davening, doing mitzvah, living a Jewish life, a godly life, a good life, a wholesome life. And you're, you're content. You're not looking for anything else. You're 100% satisfied. If you still feel you're missing and you need materialism to fill the hole, that means that, that, means that you're not, Hashem is not your life. You're just going through the motions. It's external, it's superficial. So it's one or the other. You can't have it both ways. You can't dance in two weddings. It's either this, you're married to materialism, or you're married to Hashem. Where's your heart really at? It is thus possible for an individual to be so dedicated to his passions and desires that they are his entire life. For just as this state exists in holiness, it also has its counterpart in the opposite direction, whereby one is immersed in desires to the innermost core of his heart and being. And this removal of the spiritual foreskin is achieved by giving charity to God for one's money, which is his vitality. It has been noted earlier in Part 1, Chapter 37, that since money enables a man to purchase life's essentials, parting with it in favor of charitable ends is equated to giving his very vitality to God. Money is the ultimate ego symbol. A person's whole identity is tied up with his money. He explains that that's why the Jerusalem Talmud, whenever the Jerusalem Talmud refers to mitzvah without any adjective, there's 613 mitzvah. Whenever it says the mitzvah, we know exactly what the Talmud is referring to. What's the Talmud mean by the mitzvah? Tzedakah. Because tzedakah captures the theme in the, of all the mitzvah, which is about transforming your ego, because money is the ultimate ego symbol. And for a person to be able to give away his hard-earned money and to give it away selflessly and to help another person, this gets to the crux and the purpose of all the mitzvah, to transform the ego into something godly. Especially with a person whose income is limited and who is very hard-pressed at the time. For when he gives, he gives of his very life. Every dollar bill that he's giving, he's giving away his life. He has to worry about what he's going to eat, how he's going to feed his family. He's talking about basic necessities. We're not talking about luxuries. We're not talking about someone who owns three homes and, and owns a yacht and a, and a plane and he, you know, he doesn't know what to do with all his excess billions. And then maybe he'll decide to give some away. You're talking about someone who's struggling for basic necessities and for him to give tzedakah. It's literally tearing a piece of his life away. It's taking a piece of his life. This is especially so if he supports himself by the toil of his hands. For it is impossible that in his work he did not often involve the innermost point of the heart, the depth of his heart. As is the way of the world when people are occupied with business and the life. So when a person is struggling to earn a living and is struggling to make ends meet and he's it's, it's, he's totally, totally focused, he's totally present, and uh, he'll do things which are, he'll put his life at risk, if he has to, just to bring home some bread to his family. Um, so the, earning the money also involved his very being and his very life. He poured his life into that money. It wasn't just something that casual. He didn't just sit and earn it you know, just collecting interest and uh, leisurely earning his money while he's traveling around the world and money is just pouring in. He, he, he earned every penny with his life, with the sweat of his life. And so he invested himself in that money. So for him to give away that money, that hard-earned money that he poured his whole life and soul into, that's giving away a piece of himself. Thus... Now that he disperses the fruits of his toil unstintingly, despite his circumstances, and gives unto God with joy and with a gladsome heart. Uh, most importantly is how he gives. Because tzedakah, it's not just to give. 
Maimonides lists there are eight levels of giving tzedakah. The highest level is if you see a person in need, set him up, help him, put him on his own two feet that he won't have to need, set him up in business, make, help him become self-sufficient. That's the highest form of tzedakah. Next to that is a person who gives anonymously. Anonymously, from both ends. The giver doesn't know who is receiving, and the receiver doesn't know who gave. There was a room in the temple, an office called Lishkas Chashoyen, where righteous people would give their tzedakah. They had no idea where the money went, and the, 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 the office would give to people in need. The people in need had no idea who gave them. So when they walked down the street, there was no embarrassment. No one, no one knew who the giver was the receiver. Then there were those who would give anonymously. The receiver received it anonymously. The givers did not give anonymously. They would go slip money under the door. When people were walking down the street, they would slip money in their, in their knapsack without them uh, being aware. And they came home and they realized there's money. They had no idea who was their generous benefactor. So there was no shame. They had no idea who it was, but the person who gave knew who he gave. Then there were those where the giver had no idea who he gave to, but the benefactor knew who gave him. There were righteous people who would walk around with money behind their back, and whoever needed would go and take it. So they didn't see who took it. They weren't interested. Then there are those who give fifth level is um, those who give before they're even asked to give. In all our years here in the Chabad, it happened a few times, <laughs> occasionally. Someone actually picked up the phone and said, I would like to, out of the blue, I would like to, to give and participate in a meaningful way. That's a, that's a high level. Then there's a person who gives, gives when he's asked, he gives. He waits till he's asked. But when he asked, he's given. Then there's a person who gives, but doesn't give as much as he should. But at least he gives with a smile. The little that he does give, the pennies that he does give, he gives with a smile. Gladly, joyfully. The worst level, the lowest level is a person who gives and it's like torture. It's like, it's like pulling, pulling teeth. It's like, it's so painful for him to give. You, you almost have Rahmanas, you almost want to give him the money back. It's too painful to watch. A person who gives and gives it with a sour face. It makes you feel rotten. Instead of making you feel good, the person who has to humiliate himself and has to ask, Instead of making him feel like a million dollars, makes him feel cheap and worthless and makes it very clear who's the giver and who's the receiver. And but nevertheless, he gave him. At least he gave him. He gave him something. So it's a, the key here, he's saying, to give it gladly. To give to duck. To give it gladly. He thereby redeems his soul from the pit. That is... He redeems the innermost point of his heart, which was in a state of exile and captivity within the coarse or thin top. So this is our way. This is within our capacity. This is our way of duplicating the idea of redemption, of removing the thin membrane by reaching into our subconscious, by taking money. Money hits home. By taking something that hits home so strongly, and giving it away for Hashem, and giving it gladly and joyfully, because Hashem asked us to. This is our way of redeeming the neshama, the inner part of the neshama, the inner part of the heart. And as a result, Hashem will respond in kind, and Hashem will, will, um, will reveal, do His part to reveal the inner part of our hearts. For thus it is written, guard your heart with the greatest vigilance. Literally, guard your heart from every mishmar. Mishmar meaning a prison. The verse is thus exhorting us to keep our hearts from being imprisoned in exile and and desire. How are we able to guard our heart from being imprisoned? By giving tzedakah. 
By giving tzedakah, this, this wakes us up. This hits home. This reminds us very clearly there's a God in this world. You know, there, there's a, a joke, like a saying, Ani b'tzedek ech I see your face with tzedek, with righteousness. So b'tzedek is an acronym for four Yiddish words. B'tzedek, biz sudekeshna, till the pocket. There are people who are very righteous, very holy. But until it comes to writing a check, comes to writing a check and nowhere to be seen and nowhere to be heard and nowhere to be found. So they're very religious and very pious and they make a lot of noise in the synagogue and they're the first ones and to judge others but when you come to them in crunch time and you need a serious check and you need a serious tzedakah, they're nowhere to be found and nowhere to be heard. So the, the, the whole righteousness reaches till the pocket. You know, uh, <laughs> There was once a person, that, it says, Rebbe was called holy. Why was he called holy? Because he, he never put his hands beneath his, his waist. Words, he was sexually, he was very moral, he was very holy. So there was a miser in town, and the rabbi used to call him holy. He says, why do you call him holy? He says, because you too never put your hands beneath your waist. You never lift, put your hand in your pocket to give tzedakah, <laughs> to give a serious, serious, uh, serious contribution. So, you know, there are people who... That means the whole Yiddishkeit is very external, very superficial. But if you really want to protect your heart, that your heart should not, should not enter into prison, should not be imprisoned, and trapped in materialism, if you want to know if you're really connected with Hashem or not connected with Hashem, it's tzedakah. Tzedakah is a moment of truth. Talmud says you can tell a person by three things. Kisei, it's a play on words. Kisei, kaisei, kaisei. When he drinks, the true colors come out. When he loses his temper, the true colors come out. And when it comes to money, things. A person could be very charming, but you see he's stingy and he's a miser. And, you know, it's a moment of truth. Um, so if a person really wants to protect his heart from being in prison, if you really want to know if you're connected with Hashem in a serious way, in a real way, it's tzedakah. Tzedakah is the giveaway. If you give tzedakah, and you give, it hurts to give. You give a serious tzedakah. You talked about a person who's, who's is dying to make a living, and yet he's able to give tzedakah. And he gives it joyfully. That means you're connected with Hashem. That means it's real. That means the Yiddishkeit is real. That Hashem is your life. It's not just talk. It's action. And that's what's unique about our generation. We are a generation of action. We're not Talmudic stars. We're not Talmudic geniuses. The greatest rabbi today is, is a, a pale comparison to a rabbi 100 years ago, 200 years ago, let alone 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. We're like midgets, spiritual midgets. But we are giants when it comes to action. We are the generation of action. We are the generation of money, of deeds. And that's our mitzvah. That's the place where we can shine. The, the Talmudic understanding, our minds, we're, we're, our minds are midgets in comparison to the minds of our ancestors. That's not where we shine and where we sparkle. What's special and where we shine and where we sparkle is with the generation of deeds, of action. We're the wealthiest generation of Jews that ever lived. And we have the opportunity to give tzedakah like never before. Serious tzedakah. Tzedakah that does damage. Tzedakah that hurts. Tzedakah that really matters. Where you can really make a difference and really have an impact and really help someone. Truly help someone. This is our challenge. And this is where we can tell if a Jew is really connected with Hashem or he's not connected with Hashem. It's a moment of truth. Is Yiddishkeit for real? Or it's not for real? Everything else, the pieties, that's all very, could be very superficial and external. You could delude yourself and you think you're so enthusiastic and excited, but it's all external. And the proof is, when it comes to tzedakah, you know where to be found. It means it's not real. It, hadn't, it doesn't hit home. Everything you're learning and everything, you, it doesn't hit home. It's not for real. It hasn't touched you in a real way. And that's why you're just coasting along and you remain in prison. Your heart remains in prison. You think you're flying high, you think you're so pious, but the truth is you're still in prison. The membrane covers up on your heart. You're not there. You're not truly, Hashem is not truly your life. Yiddishkeit is not truly your life. It's not for real.
how do I know it's for real when you give tzedakah? When you give tzedakah, you show Hashem that this is for real. And then Hashem will re redeem and reveal your inner part of your heart. That's to present charity. Priya is the word used to describe the removing of the thin membrane. After you cut during the circumcision, after you cut the thick membrane, you reveal Priya, you reveal, you remove the thin membrane and you reveal the uh, the crown of the organ. And that's called Priya. So Priya also comes from the word to pay up your debt, removing a debt. For the individual in question had become indebted and subjected to the forces of evil that have ruled within him over the innermost point Because my heart is into materialism. Let's, let's be honest, that's where my heart is at. How can I redeem that? How can I change that? We're not in control of our subconscious. That's true, we're not in control of our subconscious. Only Hashem can, can do that for us. But what we could do is, and how we could reach and redeem our subconscious, is when we give tzedakah. That's within our power. Because money hits home. Money touches us very, very deeply. And when you're able to give tzedakah, that touches us in the deepest place. And that redeems us from our attachment to the other side. And now Hashem becomes my life. And Hashem becomes reality to me. Through this, we can understand the meaning of the above quoted phrase, and her former spiritual captives shall be redeemed Now he's answering the question he asked at the beginning of the letter. What's the connection between tzedakah and redemption? That the Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah. Why only be redeemed through tzedakah? This is the only way. He says, yes. Because the only thing that we can do that resembles the idea of redemption, of redeeming and reaching our inner hearts. The only thing that's within our power to do, our capacity to do, is giving tzedakah. Because tzedakah touches that deep place. We don't have that power to touch our subconscious. To deliberately and consciously touch our subconscious, it's a rare ability. The tzaddik is able to do that. The tzaddik is able to achieve a core transformation. But we don't have that capacity. But we do have the capacity to give tzedakah. And we all know the value of money. And you have to work hard for that money. And when you give tzedakah, it really gets to you. It really touches you in the deepest place. It touches your whole ego, your whole being, your whole essence. And if you're able to give that away to Hashem, that's how you redeem. And that's how you redeem the, the inner heart. And that's how you achieve inner redemption, you evoke a response within Hashem. And that's why the time to give tzedakah is before davening. It says the best time to give tzedakah, you should give tzedakah before davening. You should give tzedakah and then you should daven. Because the whole theme of davening is during davening, during prayer, you're trying to achieve a personal redemption where Hashem becomes your life. You love Hashem, you can experience godliness and feel that Hashem is your life. In order to achieve that, first you have to give tzedakah. When you give tzedakah, this lays the groundwork. This evokes a response within Hashem that we can achieve during davening, during that auspicious time. We can achieve that inner redemption. And when we achieve a personal redemption from the, macro, from the microcosm, it spreads to the macrocosm. And that's how we're going to achieve a collective redemption. And that's why our generation is such a focus on tzedakah. Every Sunday that ever would stand for hours giving tzedakah to inspire us how important again and again and again, relentlessly, time and time again how important tzedakah is and how this is the challenge of our generation this is how we are going to be redeemed and the whole Jewish people will be redeemed when our generation learns to give tzedakah and the truth is to be said the tzedakah that is given today I don't think has ever been given throughout Jewish history the levels of tzedakah that are given today are so the sums are astronomical people give like never before serious money serious sums and are accomplishing tremendous, tremendous good with their tzedakah. So this generation is definitely living up to that challenge, living up to that potential. And by our generation giving tzedakah, the Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah because we're showing Hashem that Hashem is our life, that this is real. We take our Yiddishkeit very seriously. And this is what's going to redeem not only our generation, but we are 
going to redeem the entire Jewish people through the good deeds. We're going to close the deal for the entire Jewish people of all generations. And it all comes, boils down, it all comes down to tzedakah. The Jewish people only be redeemed through tzedakah. This is how we shine, this is how we sparkle, and this is what's going to evoke Hashem's response, that Hashem is going to open the floodgates and open our subconscious and bring it all out to the open. And because when Hashem becomes our life, and we become married to Hashem to the exclusion of everything else, Hashem will consummate His marriage to us and will totally reveal himself to us and godliness will permeate every force of every aspect of existence, of creation every human being will recognize and sense Hashem present, in the present and uh, this will become tangible as tangible as tzedakah is tzedakah is very real it's very tangible that's how tangible the redemption will be Mashiach will be something that's tangible we'll feel it, we'll see it and, uh, and even if it needs a tzedakah, even if we're not worthy, just like we give, even if the person is not worthy, that's the definition of tzedakah. You give something for nothing. If you're giving it because a person earns it, that's not tzedakah, that he earned the wage. Tzedakah is I'm giving it gratuitously, something for nothing. So when we give tzedakah, even if it's a tzedakah for Hashem to bring Mashiach, we don't deserve it, let's say, for argument's sake. Difficult to say after 3,800 years, and everything the Jewish people went through that we don't deserve it. But even if you want to be stubborn, like Jews know how to be stubborn, and you want to argue, you want to be the prosecutor and find fault and find reasons why we're not worthy of Mashiach to come and why, God forbid, we, he has to delay his coming for another day, God forbid. Even if it's a tzedakah, just like we give tzedakah, Hashem should also give tzedakah and give it to us even if we don't deserve it. But it will be something tangible. It will be for real. You won't have to argue about it. You won't have to discuss it. You won't have to... It'll be so obvious and tangible. Mashiach is here. That's how you know Mashiach is here. If you have to discuss it, then you know he's not here. It'll be so obvious and self-evident. You'll see the third temple and you'll see 14 million Jews dancing in the streets of Jerusalem. You won't have to... Dis- there won't be any discussions. There's nothing to discuss. It's here. See, you see it. I see it with my own eyes. That's how tangible it will be. Just like when you help the poor person, it's tangible. You helped him. You wrote him a check. It's real. You helped him. For real. So Hashem will also build us the Beis Amigdash for real, tangibly. And even, even if it's only a tzedakah. So this is V'shaveh, V'tzedakah. The Jewish people will return through tzedakah. And it's an unbelievable explanation. You know, Al-Tarebi explains from the inside what's the real connection. What's the connection? Tzedakah to redemption. The Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah. You know, without Hasidus, without the Tanya, well, what's the connection? Okay, we take it on faith. The Torah says, if you give tzedakah, you'll be redeemed. But what's the connection? Why only through tzedakah? But now it becomes very clear. It's, very, it's, it's understandable. We can understand why. That tzedakah is the only thing that we can do that we can access and access our subconscious. We can do something that touches us so deeply that affects our whole being, our center. And um, therefore, it's a reflection of what we're trying to evoke from within Hashem. Because we know the truth. The truth is only Hashem could bring Mashiach. Everything that we're doing is just teasing Hashem we're teasing, we're evoking we're trying to evoke a response Hashem has to stir Hashem has to make the move but we have to seduce we have to inspire we have to evoke, arouse Hashem but how do you arouse Hashem? you have to arouse Him it has to be a reflection of what you're trying to arouse Him to so the way we arouse Hashem is by giving tzedakah that's what touches us in the deepest place. That's what hits home the most. And when you, when you hit home, it hits the spot and Hashem responds in kind. And that's when we have Mashiach and that's when we have redemption and that's when we have the marriage of the Jewish people of Hashem. Okay, before we continue, anyone has any questions, comments, thoughts? Well, on Shabbat, you can do the uh, Good question. On Shabbat, you can give charity. 
Firstly, on Friday, you have to give double. <laughs> for Friday and Shabbat. The other forms you can do charity on Shabbat. You can, invite, you can invite guests to your house. So there are many ways of doing charity. You can teach. You can, you can... But Shabbat, the theme of Shabbat is not really... That's not the theme of Shabbat. You're right. The holidays, the Yom Tev, that is the theme. In Yom Tev, you have to have guests at your table. If you don't have guests on your table, it's not a Yom Tev. And Amram says... It's not a joy, you're not rejoicing with Hashem, you're rejoicing with your stomach. If a Jew sits at home alone and has no guests, for Yantiv it's not a rejoicing. The definition of joy is and includes others. Joy is not a solitary activity. When you cry, you cry alone, but when you dance, you have to dance with someone else. The definition of Yantiv is joy, the definition of joy is it includes others. Shabbat, however, the theme of Shabbat is not necessarily uh, others, because Shabbat is about pleasure. Pleasure is a solitary adventure. You can sit alone and, 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 and feel the pleasure and experience pleasure. But Shabbos is really a reflection of Mashiach. Shabbos is a reflection of the future. Yom Shekule Shabbos, when the whole world will become Shabbos. Shabbos is the reward. Just like the six days of the week inexorably leads towards Shabbos, so to this world inexorably is leading towards Mashiach. It, that's just the way. It just, it, inevitably, everything is leading towards Shabbat. This time, every minute that passes, we're getting closer to the center, we're getting closer to Shabbat. Every day that passes, we're getting closer, inexorably it leads to, towards Mashiach. Shabbos is really a reflection of Mashiach. It's already after the revelation, after the reward, after we've already achieved, and Hashem has revealed the neshama. That's what really Shabbat is. Shabbat is we get a taste of the future. Shabbat, we get an extra neshama. We get an extra dose of the neshama. We get this gift that Hashem gives us. Hashem allows us to experience this inner, some of this inner, inner spark of godliness that we have within us. That's what Shabbos is. That's why it's a day of pleasure. So yes, it is, Shabbos is already what you accomplish through the tzedakah. It says you have to, in order to enjoy Shabbos, you have to cook before Shabbos. If you don't cook anything before Shabbos, you have nothing to eat on Shabbos. In order to achieve Shabbos, you have to give tzedakah six days a week. If you give tzedakah six days a week, then you can get Shabbos, which is a taste of redemption. So Shabbos is more reflection of the redemption that comes after the work, after the service. After the six days a week that we're working, we're earning money, and we're giving the money to tzedakah, then comes Shabbos, then comes the center, the day of pleasure, the point, the purpose. So every Shabbos we get a little a miniature reflection of that. So yes, Shabbos is the reward that comes after the six days. On Shabbos we're like the level of the tzaddik. The tzaddik is able to access his neshama, is able to access his inner heart. He has that ability. On Shabbos we all are on that level, in a miniature way, that we have that ability to access that pure pleasure, to experience godliness. So the emphasis of Shabbos is not tzedakah. That we have to take care of during the six days a week, especially on Friday. The last preparations is the last opportunity you have to finish all your cooking and to, to do all your preparations, including giving tzedakah that leads us to the reward, which is the Shabbos, which is the redemption, which comes from Hashem. Shabbos comes from Hashem. Six days a week, Hashem created the world, and the seventh day He rested. It's not something we do. Hashem does. But nevertheless, we have to do something, like He said over here. Even something that comes directly from Hashem. We have to do something, something that reflects it. How do we reflect it? Through our giving tzedakah throughout the whole week. Especially right before the Shabbos, we have to emphasize tzedakah. You have to give double tzedakah. The emphasis to do whatever we can to evoke the ultimate response from Hashem when Hashem reveals our neshama, reveals our subconscious, and uh, and that's what Shabbos is—a day of pleasure. You said that um, in order to give tangibly, it should hurt. It should be painful. It should be something you can really feel. Um, but then you should also give with joy. But how can you be joyful about something in essence painful? Right. 
Hurt, I mean, that it's, it's a serious sum. It's not just something that's like meaningless to you. And that's very subjective. Here he talked about someone who's struggling to make a living, struggling to put bread on the table. And yet he's giving that away, some of that away, to a person in need. That person is giving his heart and soul. It's not just, it's, it's, it's difficult for him to give. And yet he gives it joyfully. He gives it joyfully because he recognizes that everything that we have is a gratuitous gift from Hashem. Everything we have is a tzedakah. Hashem doesn't know us a thing. And therefore, I can give it joyfully and give it away joyfully. But I gave something substantial. I gave something that's real. So it's a very personal, subjective thing. Someone who's extremely wealthy, for him to write a check, that means nothing to him. Maybe to the recipient, it means a lot. But to, the, to him, it means nothing. That's not, that's not, for him, that's not tzedakah. That's not, that's not real. That's not called tzedakah. That doesn't touch his subconscious. That doesn't hit home. He gave something that means nothing to him. I have so much, I don't even know what to do with it. So let me write something. The government forces me to put money in the foundations. I'll give some away. That's not tzedakah. That means nothing. That money means nothing to him. You know, d- during this last economic downturn, someone said, he says, I lost a lot of money, but thank God it was my tzedakah money. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> I mean, the whole tzedakah to him was, it's, 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 it, that's, not, that's like play money, that's not me. Here, the poor person is giving away his bread, his life sustenance. He's giving a piece, he's sharing his bread and butter with someone. So tzedakah also means giving a piece of yourself, giving something that's real to you. That's the tzedakah that touches you, that hits home, that connects you with Hashem in a very real way. But if you just give things that are completely meaningless to you, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, doesn't do anything. doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's, it's better you should give and not give. And <laughs> Make no mistakes. The person who received it, he couldn't care less what, what's going on. The bottom line is you, you helped him. But here we're talking about a tzedakah that really redeems you from, from prison, that redeems your inner heart and connects you with Hashem in a real way, where Hashem becomes your life. That's a tzedakah that's real. So yes, it's real. It hurts, not in, it hurts because you're giving something that's real, that's substantial. But you're doing it joyfully. Because it's the godly thing to do, it's the right thing to do. And Hashem gave us. Everything that we have is a tzedakah. It gives us life, it gives us health, it gives us existence, it gives us a wife, it gives us children, it gives us whatever we have. It doesn't know us a thing. It's all tzedakah. So we in turn also give tzedakah. And we also give. We're not doing anyone any favors. Tzedakah means righteousness. Tzedakah is not charity. Charity means I feel charitable, so I give. That's philanthropy. Giving your last dollar bill away. Tzedakah means giving your first dollar bill away. Tzedakah means I'm not doing anyone any favors. It's not because I feel charitable. They want my name in the papers. It's the right thing to do. I'm not doing anyone any favors. 10%, 20%, I have to give. It's not even a question. It's not mine. It's Hashem. So I give it joyfully, but I'm giving something that's real. Something that really takes something out of me. A slice of me. A piece of me. Money that means nothing to me. And I give that, that, that... that was Cain and Hevel. What did Cain give? The truth is the material that Cain gave was more precious than what Hevel gave. He gave, he gave uh, linen. Linen was very special. It was the specialty of Egypt. But he gave the leftovers of the factory. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, it, it was like, it meant nothing. What did Hevel bring? Cain and Abel. What did Abel bring? A little sheep. But he gave the choicest sheep, the nicest sheep. He gave something that's real. Where Cain gave something that was completely superfluous. He had no need for Okay, let me give it to Hashem. That's what people give to doctors. They give the garbage. They give the leftovers. They give something they have no use for anyway. Okay, so let me, let me be generous and give. That, that's not tzedakah. Tzedakah is giving the choicest. Giving the best. Giving a piece of you. That's real. That's giving. It's giving you. Giving yourself and giving it with a smile. Because if you give tzedakah and you don't give it with a smile, 
And that's the, what was so special about uh, Sammy Rohr and what's special about George and the whole family. It's not just that they gave and the amounts that they gave is stupendous. I'm talking about millions and tens of millions of dollars. And even when it would hurt them, and even when it was difficult for them to give. As Sammy used to say, it's a kunst to give when it's easy to give. A kunst is to give when it's difficult to give. But it's how they give, how they give. It's with a smile, it's joyfully, it's making you feel like a million dollars. It's the attitude, the approach, who's doing who a favor, who's helping who, who's giving who. This is, the, in that sense, the truly princess, a true prince in giving tzedakah, which is rare. And uh, you know, if there were 10 Jews like that, Mashiach would come. Um, that's tzedakah. That's the tzedakah that brings redemption. That's the tzedakah that brings light, illumination, godliness, holiness into this world. That's Jewish tzedakah. That's the tzedakah that Yidin were famous for 3,800 years. Going back to Avram Avinu. His open tent, giving generously of himself, of his time, of his wealth, his gifts. Everything Hashem gave him, he shared the whole world. That's tzedakah. That's the tzedakah that brings gu'ul, that brings redemption. So the merit of his tzedakah and continuous tzedakah, which his children are doing in his name, in his honor, they will take merit coming to Mashiach now. And even if it's a question of tzedakah, if Hashem thinks or someone up there thinks that we don't deserve it, doesn't matter. Let him give us a tzedakah. It won't hurt anyone. As the, as the Torah says, no one got hurt by giving tzedakah. So including Hashem, it won't hurt if he gives us a tzedakah, gratuitous tzedakah, and brings us a Mashiach now, whether we deserve it or don't deserve it. And surely Kali Yisrael deserves it after everything we went through. And um, it should be tangible, it should be real, and we should experience that magical moment. And the next year, we'll be hearing from the Rebbe himself, and next week we'll conclude this letter, the fourth letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.